Hi, everyone. Welcome to this week's edition of Growth Everywhere, where we interview entrepreneurs and bring you business and personal growth tips. I'm your host, Eric Su, and today we have Raj Singh from Temple AI. How do you pronounce that last name again? I always get it wrong. It's uh, Raj Singh. Singh. Like, okay, got it. Imagine there's no age. <laughs> okay, cool, man. So, yeah, you know, how's it going? Uh, it's good. Thanks for having me on the show. i uh, really looking forward to this. Yeah, thanks for being here. So, yeah, the way I usually like to start off these is to hear a little more about your background, and uh, we'll go from there. Uh, sure. Uh, so I've, uh, I've uh, more by luck uh, than by uh, plan, uh, have been in the mobile industry for quite some time. I was an a engineer by trade. Uh, I was building mobile apps in 98. Uh, I was doing WAP games. Uh, I have worked in a variety of different sort of roles, uh, product management, engineering, business development. I had, had some of my own things. Uh, and in a variety of spaces within mobile, uh, gaming, uh, music, uh, video, uh, lifestyle, utility, uh, presently productivity, uh, and it's it has definitely been uh, sort of an awesome sort of just journey watching how the uh, app store and app ecosystem and all of that has sort of evolved. Got it. Cool. So yeah, you know your your business right now is it is it Temple Temple AI right? Correct. Cool. Can you tell us a little bit about Temple AI and what and what it does exactly? Yeah, so I, you know, uh, when we started Tempo, the sort of focus was I was thinking a lot about um, my days working in business development uh, and how, and people who know me know that I'm often late to things and it's not by design and it's a terrible habit or whatever it is, uh, but I'll just be late uh, and I'll, and I'll, uh, and that coupled with another very common experience because uh, I used to deal a lot with OEMs like Samsung and LG and et cetera, and you'd go into these meetings. And there would always be five, six other people around the table that you had no idea who they were. They weren't invited. Uh, they were just they just they were just there. Uh, and so uh, the kernel of the idea really started something really simple. Uh, can I just let people know I'm running late? Can I just build a simple tool for that? That would have made my life a little bit easier, especially while you're driving. You don't want to text. Uh, and so we started there. Uh, and as we started building it, what we realized was we really were building an assistant uh, that was very much focused on the professional. Uh, and we continue to sort of push down that path, and ultimately, uh, uh, we landed at what we call Tempo Smart Calendar, uh, and it's very much fo- it's for it's for iOS at present. It'll be on other platforms soon, but it's very much focused around uh, uh, helping you better prepare for meetings, uh, but also providing you a number of quick one-tap actions, whether it's auto dialing into a conference call or viewing insights about a person you've just met or whatever it might be. Got it. Cool. So, since so iOS only, I, I mean, I imagine a lot of uh, you know a lot of notifications popping up. I mean, how you know how would it work for me? I mean, any examples on, on that? I know you gave me one example, but I would like a typical typical you know use case. Uh sure. Yeah. No. So, so I imagine in your world, uh, you're meeting new people a lot. Uh, I'm a new person, mm-hmm. uh, and sometimes you know you maybe want a little bit of an icebreaker, or maybe at least just see what he looks like, or maybe you want to know a little bit about tempo. Uh, you could open up your calendar in Tempo, uh, and you could click Raj, and we'll display not only photos about me, but information from Twitter and Facebook and LinkedIn and about me and Crunchbase and AngelList and all these different sources. Uh, so you're getting kind of like a full sort of preview of who Raj is. So you get some ideas of icebreakers. But maybe you wanted some more details. You're curious, like, I want to know more about Raj's company. Uh, so I can click Tempo. You can see your mutual connections. You, you realize, wow, I have some friends who know people at Tempo as well. Uh, I can see some background on Tempo when it was started. 
Uh, and so in, in, in this sort of just this example, here's a case where uh, it's helping you uh, just be a little bit better prepared. Maybe later this evening you have a dinner with your friends, uh, you know, pretty normal, and you're like, shoot, what time should I leave? Uh, maybe you're on Android, you have Google Now, fine. <laughs> but yep. you're on iOS, you don't have this benefit. You open up Tempo, it gives you the drive time. Uh, and so you know exactly, like, oh, okay, I should probably allocate 25 minutes because I'm going to need to leave soon uh, to get over there because it, you know, it can, it can real-time account for what the traffic might look like. Um, uh, maybe next week, I imagine just in your role, you're, you're traveling a lot. Uh, a lot of folks uh, will, <coughs> people have different systems. Some people forward their itinerary to trip it. Other people print it out. Some people save it to pass. Mm -hmm. uh, but a large number of people actually still put it in their calendar. Uh, they, put, they put the flight in the calendar. Well, Tempo will see that flight uh, and it'll show you the flight status right there in the calendar. And so it's, it's, what it's doing is it's looking at a lot of those common workflows that we experience, uh, whether it's making calls, whether it's meeting people, whether it's traveling to locations, uh, and it's automating all of that uh, to help, uh, help you effectively be better prepared and sort of save you a few minutes each day uh, and kind of reduce the stress that goes along with that. Got it. Cool. So I know there's um, there's a few obviously competitors in this space, and I <coughs> used a few tools like that before. Um, so I mean, how do you guys? How does Tempo stand out? Because I already have. I mean, like you said, there's a Google, there's the Google Nows of the world, and there's other various you know iOS apps. So how how does Tempo stand out? Um, you know, I think uh, so. When you, so there's kind of two camps here. One camp is calendars, uh, and there's a number of calendar. Uh, alternatives for both iPhone and Android uh, from a number of companies. Uh, and within that camp, uh, we have really uh, taken a focus of trying to build a very simple experience, but at the same time adding a lot of utility for the professional persona, the person who does have meetings. Uh, you can certainly use Cal you can certainly use Tempo and it's still a great experience if you have a few events a day or you mostly just have to-dos and to-dos are very common in your calendar. But it was really about providing Quick workflow, quick utility uh, for those people that are that are busy. Um, on the uh, on the other end of the spectrum, in the assistant sort of world, you have like Siri, you have Google Now, you have others. Uh, what we have found is, for the most part, they've been very uh, what we like to say. This is not in a negative way. Uh, horizontal. So what we mean by that is very broad and shallow. So you look at Google Now. It's there's 90 or 100 different some cards now that you could get in Google Now. They're not trying to go deep on any particular workflow. Uh, they're just trying to go as pervasive as they can or as broad as they can, which is perfectly fine uh, if you're thinking about targeting the, the purest form of a consumer. You're targeting a, a, a student or a kid or a soccer mom or whatever it might be. Uh, but if you, take, if you go a step further and you really think about how assistants are going to evolve, we tend to believe that they're going to be very vertical. Uh, for particular personas. There will be assistance for the internal sales rep of a telecom industry. There'll be a assistant for, you know, the pizza delivery guy. Uh, these are very, very sort of vertical personas. We're not necessarily going that vertical, uh, but we took a little bit more of a vertical approach as compared to a Google Now by sort of ta targeting those that use their calendar. Uh, and interestingly, although there's maybe, you know, 200 million or whatever number of iPhones out there uh, in the U.S., um, uh, a large chunk of people don't even use their calendar. I mean, they just really look at look at the icon and the date. Uh, so there, there is a TAM or a, a a target sort of user base. Got it. Okay. And I know 
correct me if I'm wrong, there's a there's an aspect of machine learning built into Tempo AI, right? That's correct. Okay. Can you explain to the audience what uh, machine learning is and kind of how it factors into uh, you know your your app? Yeah. So you know, as I mentioned earlier, uh, we like to say it sort of looks like a calendar, but feels like an assistant. And one of the things that we do in Tempo is we classify calendar data. Uh, and interestingly, this has really never been done. Uh, so uh, what what we can do with this is we can tell you. Uh, what your work-life balance ratio is, how many one-on-one meetings you have versus one-to-many, how many times you exercise, what your favorite coffee shop is, your favorite restaurant, uh, when you seem to prefer to have meetings, all sorts of inferences uh, that uh, that would ultimately create a psychographic profile uh, of the particular user. Uh, We have 74 different meeting classifications, uh, which is uh, quite a bit. Uh, and this isn't just simple keyword spotting. I'll give you a great example. You put in the title Raj colon John. Uh, uh, human eyes, that's a one-on-one meeting. Uh, you're, you're meeting buddy one-on-one. But the machine just sees two names and a colon. Uh, keyword spotting uh, wouldn't infer that it's a one-on-one meeting. We use natural language to try to infer what we think of the intent of the meeting is. What this enables us to do by understanding the intent of the meeting is we can be very smart with our notifications, which is part of the larger sort of growth hacking kind of story, uh, is uh, in addition to pushing a calendar notification to you, which is what you would normally expect, we push a second notification. And the second notification is what we think is the most likely action that you want to take. And so that action, uh, interestingly in calendar, usually boils down to five or six things. Dial me in, uh, tell me more about the person, navigate me there, view the flight status, uh, et cetera, uh, and uh, wish happy birthday, you know, whatever it is. Uh, and, uh, but we're continuing to improve on that. And what, where we apply machine learning uh, is twofold. One, uh, we look at your open rate of these different sort of notifications uh, and how you're responding to them and what kind of actions you are taking. Uh, and this helps the system infer uh, whether it's uh, correct or incorrect uh, with these with these sort of smart notifications. Uh, but then in addition to that, uh, we're, we also do things where inside of your calendar event, I'll give you an example. Uh, let's say you created a calendar event, you just said call Raj. And you didn't invite Raj. People are lazy. It's work you know, to fill out a whole calendar uh, event to invite people. And sometimes it's kind of formal and it's weird and you don't want to invite the other person, whatever it is. Uh, and so <clears throat> Tempo will actually try to infer who Raj is. Uh, so it will uh, look at your address book and it will not not only look at like maybe a five Rajas in your address book, but it might say, you know what, I think it's this one of the five. I don't think it's the other four because uh, things that I've learned about you over time and who I think is important to you right now. Uh, and so then it will suggest that contact there and it makes it a very quick sort of one tap. It's a very kind of popular experience within Tempo is how we automatically will match contacts. Uh, so those are just different examples of how we... Uh, use natural language and classification of calendar to effectively learn about the user uh, to provide some of these assistant experiences. I think the really the, the really cool stuff is just all the other things that you could potentially do by having that kind of psychographic data. Got it. So it's actually much more than just uh, you know the, the apps that sent me a reminder to give me a little insight on who I'm talking to. It, it's more like, the, it's, it seems like, and I'll just call it personal analytics, there's that aspect to it as well, which seems super valuable to anyone that wants to you know improve their as- aspects of their life 
um, which is sounds incredible to me. So I'm going to have to get a copy of that. Um, cool. So you know you've been you've been in the mobile space for a while. Um, you know, how many years has it been? Uh geez, uh, what is it? Four, uh, 14, 15 years. Okay, so fifteen years. I mean, what do you think? Uh, what do you think are the next big things in mobile? <laughs> um, yeah, it's interesting. Uh, I think uh, I, I'm excited for a number of things. So one of the things I challenge people to think about, which is a interesting sort of thought challenge, is there's sort of three constraints when you build mobile apps. There's uh, uh, CPU, so like is the device fast enough? There's battery life, and there's bandwidth. And, and I sometimes ask people, I say, what would you build if you had unlimited bandwidth? Your phone was Google Fiber. Like, what would you build? Uh, and, and it's interesting because it's a, it's a thought experiment. Would you do like 3D, uh, you know, uh, uh, telepresence uh, video calls uh, 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 where it's just, you know, what, you know, uh, and same question. What would you do if you had infinite battery life? Well, I'll tell you the entire quantified self world and everybody focused around health and wearables would love infinite battery life. It's the number one reason wearables don't take off uh, is people don't like recharging them. So what would you do if you had infinite battery life? You could, uh, you could run all your cloud computation on your phone 24 hours a day. You don't need to run in the cloud. It would save tons of money. So, you know, and then what, what would you do if you had infinite CPU? You know, so... If, when you think about things like that and you look at sort of, you know, how things are evolving over the last 15 years from 2003 when I used to, uh, I used to work with Kodak Mobile and I was building stuff on the first camera phone uh, where we only had 64 kilobytes of RAM and we had a 320 by 240 VGA photo and people were telling us that nobody would take photos on their phone uh, and a lot of people believed that. A lot of smart people believed that. Uh, uh, it's fascinating how... Uh, through a combination of things, those uh, those three things, battery life, uh, CPU, and bandwidth, have, are, are approaching the point where you can almost have infinite amounts of it. And then you couple that with other interesting things. You have miniaturization. Uh, things are getting smaller and smaller. And so the device is effectively packing in more and more sensors. And so I think there's, I think there's a phenomenal number of other ideas and disruptions that are going to happen. Uh, and it is because these, these three or four trends are not slowing down. Wow. Okay. <clears throat> cool. So let's, let's move into user acquisition for a little bit. I mean, Tempo, I mean, how did you acquire your first? You, do you guys have over a thousand users right now? Less, more? Yeah, no, no, okay. we're over a thousand. No, we're, uh, uh, we're, we're, we're close to a million. <laughs> okay. Wow. Okay. Let, let, so let's, let's start with the beginning. I mean, how did you guys acquire your, your first thousand customers? Um, you know, interestingly, uh, and, and I'm not necessarily advocating this as a model, um, but we uh, pre-launch, uh, we we sort of curated a set of influencers, a set of advisors, friends, and others, and and invited them into an alpha group. And and the benefit of that, what was interesting was. There's sort of a perception that if you invite somebody into your own beta group at a personal level, and it's not like a, a big list, it was maybe 100 people, people that I knew, uh, they feel special. It's like, hey, you're part of something, and so you want to contribute and feedback. Uh, and by definition, uh, if they have nothing positive to say, they're more likely to not say anything than to say something negative, uh, which is very, very sort of important. Uh, on the uh, uh, So through a combination of 
so, so, so we sort of started with that, with sort of influencer list. Uh, and then what we did is we kind of took an approach of launching Tempo like with a big launch. And, and I'm not necessarily advocating this as a model, and I probably would do it differently going forward. Um, um, but this was kind of the old way things used to happen. Uh, and so we had these set of influencers. Uh, we, we also reached out to uh, a number of friendly press uh, and we had uh, seeded them with the app. And one of the things that was interesting about Tempo was, first of all, it was probably the first calendar, uh, first sort of calendar 2.0 launched on an uh, iPhone. Uh, and then sec so we were kind of first to market, so that gave us some advantages. And then second of all, um, uh, the, the natural target user, uh, ha almost by definition, like the, the best target user is probably an influencer because they're busy people. <laughs> so, so. Uh, when these people were using it, the press or whatnot, they were loving it. Uh, they really, really liked uh, uh, the whole sort of experience. Uh, and so what happened was the day of launch, we had a very significant amount of press and, and uh, um, very, very significant amount of demand. We hit the first thousand uh, downloads in the first minute uh, of launch. And, and uh, it actually caused us different problems. Um, uh, the... the uh, uh, system we had built. So one of the things that we had done was we had actually launched under a different name in Canada to sort of test. And, and the metrics were terrible. Uh, people were not downloading it. Uh, and we realized later it's because we didn't want to announce it. And so we were kind of buying traffic to a calendar using ads that were probably being run on games that were being delivered to kids who don't use their calendar. <laughs> and so, and so, we didn't really put the two together, and so we didn't realize how bad the audience that we were acquiring was. Uh, but in any case, we looked at these metrics and we put together a forecast, and we said, you know what, uh, we would be very happy if we can get ten thousand installs on day one, right? And and uh, uh, we obviously blew through those numbers. And so what happened was the system we had built, because assistant kind of infrastructure is ex it's not necessarily expensive, but it's computationally heavy. Uh, and so to classify data, and it's the first time we were hitting exchange in such a large segment of users, et cetera, uh, that we uh, uh, basically the system stopped working. <laughs> we couldn't we couldn't handle any more users. So you know you kind of design for scale, and, and you know, and it wasn't truly an elastic system, which is part of the problem. Uh, and so we couldn't handle it. And so uh, we immediately went into a mode like, oh my god, you know, like let's start spinning up more servers. I don't know what's going on. Uh, writing code, fixing things, et cetera. Uh, but here we are getting one starred like crazy in the app store. Uh, uh, just, I think we accumulated 500 one stars in the first two weeks. Wow. Um, <laughs> uh, because people were saying they'd install it, but they can't register because it just wouldn't work. Uh, and so <clears throat> we didn't know what to do. Uh, and uh, uh, we could pull the app from the app store. And, you know, these things are very, when you look back in time, Everything seems to sort of make sense, but when you're living in the moment, uh, it's very hard to make these decisions. You're stressed out, you're tired, uh, and it's like you know, there's not, there's just not a lot of comps for these kinds of things. Uh, yeah, so uh, we looked at another application uh, called Mailbox, and Mailbox had a reservation line, and we said that's interesting. Uh, maybe we can just put together a line, and that'll help sort of mitigate uh, this pain because we had no way to service these users. And so we spent the next two days building a reservation line, submitted it for an emergency Apple 
uh, a push release so you could circumvent their one-week normal wait period. Uh, and they put it live, and we threw people in the reservation line. That created a whole nother level of buzz that probably was a little bit premature, to be honest, uh, which was everybody's like, oh, wow, there's a scarcity here or exclusivity here. And so next thing you know, everybody wants to jump in the line. And the line climbed into the hundreds of thousands. <laughs> um, <laughs> and, and again, we just launched U.S. only, and it was just iPhone. And, and uh, we're thinking to ourselves, this is nuts, because at our current velocity, we can't even let all these people in for three months. Uh, and this is crazy, and I don't believe in reservation lines. I think it's a terrible idea. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think you should try to make your user as happy as you can. Uh, and uh, we basically cranked for 24 hours a day for probably five, six, seven weeks to get the system to a place where we could scale. And we slowly got all of them in. Uh, and and uh, we're kind of way past that now. But but uh, it was uh, uh, there's a lot of interesting lessons learned with our launch. Uh, what it had done is it had created a lot of awareness of Tempo, but not necessarily a lot of people that had played with it, uh, because many people had not gotten in. Uh, and then the problem with a lot of these things that we realized, and just looking at sort of other things that have been involved in, is uh, uh, there is a window you want to sort of acquire your users when there's sort of heightened awareness. Uh, but if you miss the sort of window, uh, then, you know, and like they're like, yeah, I remember Tempo, but I haven't actually played with it yet. You know, it's like uh, six months go by, so you have to re-sort of acquire that user. And, and, and it's very similar. I, my analog here is the networking, uh, which is kind of a weird analog, but let me give you the analog. It's In networking, it's a lot easier to make a new introduction, like meet a new person, than it is to maintain a relationship. Maintaining a relationship is a lot more work. Uh, and when somebody pings me five years later and says, hey, Raj, can you help me with X? And I'm like, dude, you haven't pinged me for five years and we met five years ago. I'm like, okay, I'll help you. But like, why have you been so quiet for five years? Uh, but if somebody new emailed me, can you help me with X? It's like, oh, yeah, you're a new person. I'll help you because I want to pay it forward. Yeah. Uh, and so it's very similar with apps. When you acquire a user, you have your one shot and you're trying to sort of impress upon that experience. But it's a lot of work to sort of go back to the same user and say, give it a shot again, give it a shot again. Uh, and I'm re- I really am envious when I think of things like Evernote, where uh, you know they, they give these examples where uh, their greatest uh, sort of conversion of users is after their third use, after 18 months, uh, which means they're very good at sort of remarketing to audience uh, that may not have liked it the first time or may not have adopted the workflow the first time. Uh, and, and this is sort of important when you think about the productivity category, because you are dealing with personal workflow and people do have personal processes and how they handle things, et cetera. So um, anyways, that's how we got our first thousand users. <laughs> no, that's good. It, so it sounds like you, you did the, scar- the scarcity thing twice, but you don't recommend it, right? Uh, what, what's twice? I did it once. Uh, once? Okay. I thought I heard twice, but once. once... Oh, you mean the, uh, with the beta group? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, with the beta group, to be honest, the, the objective wasn't scarcity. The objective was really uh, feedback. Okay. But it happened to be that a lot of the members of the beta group uh, uh, were also influencers. Uh, so it created its own sort of scarcity effect. Got it. Cool. I would, I, I would definitely recommend the first. It's the second I wouldn't recommend is doing a reservation line. Okay, got it. So definitely no reservation line. always curate a set of fans, followers, influencers. Uh, uh, there's, there's something about – it doesn't matter if they're an influencer or not, but there's something about being part of the beta group. It makes you feel special. It makes you feel like, you know what, I'm going to give them a free pass if things crash because they made me part of their beta group and they're trust, entrusting me to give them feedback. 
Got it. Okay, that makes total sense. Um, so, you know, how about why don't you tell us a little bit about like one big struggle you faced while growing uh, Temple Ant? And I, and I heard the, the scaling issue. Um, what's like another big struggle you faced? I'll, I'll, this is a good. This is a good. This is a good question. Um, we had a real challenge around what was the right product market fit, um, and so let me give you what we were what we were torn with when we launched Tempo. The thesis was really bringing an assistant for the professional, um, and but when we were naming Tempo, we didn't know what to call it. Uh, should we call it Tempo Assistant, uh, or should we call it Tempo Calendar? Uh, and the only reason we considered calendar is because we thought calendar was a great UI metaphor for an assistant. Uh, the other more common UI metaphor is like Google Now or uh, uh, other other sorts of assistant kind of apps, basically streams of things. Uh, so you swipe through a series of cards, you swipe through a stream. Uh, so anyway, so here here comes launch. We do this launch. Everyone thinks of us as a calendar. Uh, they don't think of us as an assistant. Uh, and that was because through the use of the name Calendar, we were acquiring a user base that was outside of the target TAM. Uh, the target TAM was the sort of professional, but we were getting students, and we were getting uh, 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 soccer moms, and we were, get, we were getting folks that just have to-dos or just have birthdays and just use Facebook events uh, all, over the, all over the map. Uh, and that posed an interesting challenge because all of a sudden you sort of acquired a user base that isn't necessarily consistent with what your sort of original product objective was. Uh, and and uh, you, we had to effectively make a choice. We had sort of two options. One option was we could push further on calendar uh, and try to weave in the assistant experience. I'm a big believer that AI and smart experiences are underneath the hood. You don't need to sort of force it upon the user. Uh, then you're not doing it correctly. Or we could actually completely change the UI to look less like a calendar uh, and therefore fix the problem. Uh, and that was an interesting uh, debate internally because we were thinking about, we we're like, wow, we got pigeonholed here in the calendar. Uh, and we were really thinking about completely eliminating some of the calendar views and switching it to more of a card kind of metaphor, which ironically was the UI we had in September uh, several months before we launched, which was in February. <laughs> but then we moved it into more of a calendar because some of the feedback we got from users was, well, I'm swiping between the cards, but each card is basically about the next event. Uh, you know, just moving into it. So it was a really interesting sort of uh, uh, debate. And what we ultimately decided was we felt that the audience of people interested in a better calendar experience was larger uh, and we felt that the assistant kind of experiences that we were building would enable us to monetize because uh, they, they were sort of the higher value user. Uh, and so uh, we stayed true uh, to building sort of a full calendar. Uh, uh, and then uh, we continued to build these assistant sort of experiences because those users that use a lot of those experiences in Tempo, they retain forever. Uh, we're locking them in. Uh, and so... What that did was, which, which was sort of not what our original product plan was uh, and the reality of these things, uh, and you know, there's a lesson that I learned, this is an anecdotal thing, uh, that uh, uh, the larger your user base, the more you learn. Uh, so when you test with 50 people, you learn small things. When you test with 500 people, you learn bigger things. When you test with 5,000 people, you learn even bigger things because uh, you can see things at different scale. 
Uh, and so you see different kinds of trends that you're not necessarily exposed to. Well, what, what this basically forced uh, us to do with our product roadmap was we spent the next four months just building calendar features. Uh, for example, we didn't have an invitation tray. Uh, There's a number of features we didn't support with an ad event, like setting of recurrence, uh, all these sorts of things, search. Uh, and users were demanding it. Uh, you know, to, for, for full sort of calendar experience, they were sort of demanding it. Uh, and that, that detracted from what our original product roadmap was, which was really about building more assistant kind of experiences, e.g. Uh, generate an expense report for you out of your calendar automatically. Uh, things That'd like that, be cool. because we could tell these things semantically. Uh, so we spent the next four or five months all the way through from February, loosely from Feb to about May, we were just trying to scale and get the users in. And then from May to August, we were just doing calendar features. And then from August to effectively February of this year, we were back on our assistant sort of roadmap. Uh, it's really sort of fascinating how the roadmap was influenced and looking back and how I would think do things maybe a little bit differently, uh, but that was as a result of of, uh, uh, a ver of a very simple thing, what we called the app. Whether we called it Calendar uh, or if we called it Tempo Assistant, it would have been a very different TAM. Wow. Naming drives a huge impact. <laughs> a very significant impact, yeah. It's, it's unbelievable how the name can uh, really influence, especially at first launch, and especially if you're not doing a slow roll launch, if you're actually launching it. It really, whatever you call it initially and how you message it initially, it's very difficult to ever detract from that. I mean, that sort of locks you in for, for, for as a startup pretty much perpetually. I mean, even with Foursquare, that's, that's a great example. Here's Foursquare. They're struggling to still break out of the check. Uh, yeah. No matter how much, how hard they're trying to re-message that they want to be a discovery uh, experience, they st are struggling to break out of the check-in. So, they're struggling so much that they said, you know what, I give up. I'm just going to take the check-in out of Foursquare and see what happens. And that's what they're doing, right? They're moving it to Swarm, which is their other app. And that's going to be a really interesting test because that has the potential of having huge sort of uh, uh, attrition of uh, people bouncing out saying, you know what, I think of Foursquare for check-ins, not for this. Yep. Got it. <clears throat> cool. So, you know, switching gears a little bit, I know in one of your interviews, uh, you know, there's a little talk about uh, recruiting. So, you know, you said previously you spent 25 to 35% of your time recruiting through LinkedIn. I just want to know what your process was. Yeah, yeah. So uh, certainly I'm not spending 25, 35% of my time recruiting all year, uh, but definitely at different times of the year when that becomes my priority, that's what I'm doing. Um, I I think of recruiting like a sales process, uh, and that's and that's kind of that's kind of treating it a little bit uh, uh, to, uh, uh, this is in no way uh, uh, me sort of thinking of uh, the people I'm trying to recruit as just cogs. Uh, but, but what I mean by that is uh, you meet people uh, and you're like, wow, this is a cool person or this is an interesting person. I would love to work with this person. You need to maintain a relationship with that person. You need to see them on a regular basis. You need to catch up with them every six months or whatever it is. Uh, because ultimately, you want to make sure you are there uh, at the opportunity that that person may want to jump ship or may want to jump into something new. Uh, and so you may have, you know, in large companies, they'll have, you know, we have 30 job requisitions and we need to fill it next month. It doesn't work like that. In my opinion, you're always recruiting uh, and you're always hiring uh, and it's serendipitous. Some, sometimes a bunch of people become available this particular month and sometimes they become available once every six months, and it doesn't necessarily work with your timeline. 
uh, but you need to invest that sort of energy. Uh, my process was I heavily use my network. Um, so I, uh, I've invested in LinkedIn uh, to some degree uh, very early. I have a very big network on LinkedIn. Uh, and uh, one of the things that plays to my advantage uh, is I've been an engineer uh, by trade. So I've worked in engineering for five years. And so I have a number of contacts within that life uh, that lets me uh, be able to touch those people as well. Uh, so that's definitely been one advantage in terms of using my network. Um, I do have strategies. Uh, you know, we're open to relocating people. Uh, I often look at developers who develop uh, well, the one, two, three developer teams that are developing that are maybe not the top 200 uh, to see if they might be. And many of them are often outside of the Bay Area. Uh, I recruit uh, aggressively from where I'm an alumni of, which is I think is a school that is grossly uh, not underrated, but grossly under uh, under approached. I guess I'm looking for the right word there, which is Cal Poly San Luis Obispo. Uh, I think I think Berkeley and Stanford. I think those are the hyper access uh, engineers. Uh, but there's universities outside of them, and there's smart people everywhere. I strongly believe that uh, uh, that uh, are equally talented. Uh, so I think there's a range of different things that I do. I track them in a spreadsheet, uh, um, uh, but that's that's the kind of time. And you know, the, the key thing for me is I got to meet all of these people. And it's not so much, hey, can you join me tomorrow? It's more like, let's get to know each other. And ultimately, you know, when they come in uh, and meet the Tempo team and go through the Tempo interview process, what I've mostly found is that's your opportunity to earn your credibility. Uh, and so they'll go through the process uh, and they'll say, wow, this is a really smart team. That was a really hard interview process. And we, we do some very inter interesting things around our interview process, which I could talk about or not. Yeah. Uh, but uh, um, they go through it and it kind of earns some credibility and, and sometimes you earn respect just by not getting the job and it's like sorry you know even though you're an iPhone developer five years you, you know not the right guy <laughs> uh, and so it's uh, uh, <coughs> it's, uh, uh, it's been interesting and we've been adapting it and we've been learning uh, uh, but it's always a challenge uh, uh, especially because you know we, we try very hard to keep wanting to keep everybody sort of local here in the Bay Area. In the Bay Area, uh, there's no matter what people are saying, there's just a gross shortage of talent everywhere. Got it. Yeah, so let's talk about, I mean, you mentioned, you alluded to some interesting things that you did when, when recruiting. So, you know, what's one thing, what's one interesting thing you guys do? Um, so, uh, interns. Uh, so, we set up a relationship with one of our former professors. Uh, and we actually will try to recruit top kids through the professor um, and give them part-time jobs during the school year. And what that does is during the school year, now that's not the most effective, but they're really smart people. They're top performers. Uh, so they can be effective, but it's only like 10, 15 hours a week, which is kind of painful. Uh, but, but that's okay. Uh, but what that enables us is here comes graduation, and uh, uh, where do they go when they think about the first place they want to join? They think about Tempo. Right, so that's been sort of a great channel for us, and that's kind of unique and different uh, uh, in terms of something that we do. Got it. So, you know, let's say I want to, uh, you know, I went to UC San Diego, but I, you know, I want to recruit people from UCLA because that's near me, right? So, how do I, you know, let's say for me, how do I go about, you know, building that relationship with with professors so I can build this internship, you know, yeah. network? You no, know, you know what we do is we. Uh, the challenge is when you're working. So the challenge here is. Uh, uh, the folks are remote, whether they're in UC San Diego or UCLA. Um, and so what we've done in our office is we actually have Google Hangouts. 
uh, perched up on a uh, on a uh, on a shelf, and uh, it's always on and it's always running, uh, and it's a two-way open mic, uh, and we have three rooms, small little offices, but then we have like four or five people crammed in each room, and and uh, the Google Hangouts machine is in every single room and it's always on, and so our remote folks, anyone who is remote. When they're working, they sign on to Hangouts, and it feels like you're in the office because video is on. You're you're in the room. You can hear everything. You can see everything. It's very awesome, uh, and, and so that's been really effective to us. And so it doesn't matter in our sort of opinion whether they're at UCLA or UC San Diego. You're different. At the time that they graduate, that's ultimately up to them where they ultimately want to live. But it's unusual that we meet people that don't want to come up to the Bay Area, uh, uh, just given our location. Uh, how we built a relationship with the professor, personally, I think it's really, really hard if uh, it's not a, not one of your own former professors. Mm. <laughs> you know, going going to UCLA, if and you went to UC San Diego and you're kind of just approaching professors, it's not going to work. Second, I think it's really hard if you weren't one of the top kids that the professor remembers. <laughs> uh, both Corey and I, my co-founder and I, uh, uh, are Cal Poly alumni. And one of the top professors at Cal Poly, uh, you know, he remembers both of us, uh, uh, and uh, and so we created this sort of relationship, uh, and that's been great. It's been really, really helpful, and uh, it's not a lot of work. And 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 uh, um, uh, I think I think there's a lot of this that definitely happens in the Bay Area between Berkeley and Stanford, but I don't think a lot of it happens with some of these. I'm not going to say longer tail schools, but just schools that are outside the Bay Area. Got it. Cool. That's really helpful. Um, What's one piece of advice you'd give to your your twenty five year old self? Focus. Um, so, uh, really fascinating. Uh, I used to when I was so I dropped out of masters to start a company in two thousand, and since then I've been doing a number of things, testing and trying different ideas and changing and tweaking, and it's really fascinating how many years it took me to, in my opinion, and and I had some successful things by the way in in even before coming to this realization, uh, but how many years it took me to really understand what focus meant. Uh, and, and so the way I learned what focus meant, ironically, was nothing to do with the company. It was in, my, in, in one of my former lives, um, I was moved from a business development role into sales. And most people have never really worked in sales. Maybe they think they work in sales, and you're always selling. You're, you know, whether you're fundraising, you're always selling. Uh, but when you truly work in sales, and you work in a sales organization where there is a VP of sales, there's other sales reps, there's a process. Uh, one of the things you very quickly become attuned to is what it's like to work in an organization where there are targets, uh, there are goals. Your compensation's tied to those goals. And you're competing against your peers, and uh, uh, if you don't hit those metrics, you lose your job. Uh, and that's a very different way to how engineering and product organizations are run. Having worked in engineering and product, uh, you, you don't—it's not so measured. Uh, although certainly there's been some changes in this sort of new uh, org chart where product teams are broken up into growth, uh, engagement, and money as opposed to stack. Uh, uh, but uh, it, it's certainly different, and the reality is, on that side of the world, uh, there's an absolute shortage of talent, but there isn't on the sales side of the world. Um, and so, <clears throat> working in that role, 
I remember um, I would invest heavily in just sort of connecting with people that weren't necessarily contributing to the sale, uh, and and uh, spending times on time on things, understanding competitive market that wasn't necessarily con contributing to the sale. And some of these, th these things you should do and you have to do. Uh, and I remember the uh, SVP of sales uh, sort of saying, "Well, okay, so let me see how you're spending your time." You know, because they're very sort of critical in sales and they valued everything. And they pointed like, okay, what what was this meeting for, and what was this call for, and why did you meet this person for lunch? And I couldn't give quick ROIs on any of these things. And mm -hmm. he's like, well, why are you doing that? You don't need to. Like, go go do this and go call this person five more times. And and I'm thinking to myself, I'm like, wow, it's fascinating how he's prioritizing everything against the goals. And I think that was really fascinating in terms of learning about focus. And 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 I'm really excited about how. Um, a lot of these uh, 2.0 kind of companies, even like LinkedIn and how they organize internally, uh, they do, uh, uh, they've moved away from organizing engineering teams by stack and moving them to full stack teams and organizing them by growth, money, engagement, which is fascinating because it's a great way to communicate your top level objectives down to the bottom and everyone knows what the goals are. Uh, and so that's really awesome how some of those uh, uh, processes that have come from sales have been able to translate themselves to some degree into other parts of the organization, uh, which I think is which I think is very very cool. I, I strongly believe, after having worked in sales, and I've worked in many parts of the company in in small and medium sized companies, uh, that the processes in sales and how they execute and do things is the most developed uh, within a company uh, because there is very little. Uh, uh, the 360s are done in public. Uh, they're not behind the scenes. People are getting ripped apart in public. Uh, so you quickly can see and learn so fast. Just given the nature of sales, everyone is very, very sort of thick-skinned. Got it. Couldn't agree more. Um, I guess <coughs> the key takeaway, maybe everyone should join a sales organization. I just messing around. <laughs> well, it's, it's, uh, it's funny. I was, uh, I was talking with somebody. I was like, you know, I have a baby. He's 20 months. And I was like, you know, at some point, I want him to go work as a car sales rep for for three or four months, because learning how to sell and read people, and knowing what it's like to have a target, uh, is a fascinating, fascinating, uh, <clears throat> changing experience for one. Even though I want him to go be a computer science major, and of course he can't control his destiny; he can do whatever he wants. But yeah. but uh, 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 just sort of uh, uh, just thinking about things that I would want him to do. No, that that's awesome. You know what I actually heard? I actually um. This is a side note. I, I was in Turkey like two weeks ago, and you know, I, for, there's a rug salesman, and I hear rug salesmen are, are they make snake oil sales? I mean, they make uh, car salesmen look like uh, make make it look like kids child's play. So maybe uh, maybe yeah, a rug salesman would be better, huh? One of the most famous angel investors, uh, Pedgman. Uh, wasn't he a rug sales or a carpet salesman? <laughs> I don't know. You don't know, have to look into that, but you know, maybe yeah. I'm gonna make my my future kid do that too. But um, final two questions from my end. Um, What's one productivity hack you can share with the audience? Um, I'm a uh, so I I've read all the books. Mm -hmm. I've read Four Hour Work Week. I've read GTD. I've read Guy Kawasaki's whatever you name it. I read all the books. I follow all the productivity blogs. There's two approaches when you look at productivity. One approach is you go 100% into a process. You can think of it like a diet. Uh, so you subscribe to a thesis, you follow it down to the metal, uh, and, and you say, okay, is it ultimately working for me? And in some ways, this is very similar if you work in a sales organization, your VP of sales will manage a process onto you, 
And some VP of sales will say, no, I just need X, Y, and Z, and you can manage your own process, uh, whatever it is. It's just like a diet. Uh, the other way is you read all these books, uh, and you draw your own conclusions, and you see what works for you. And uh, I'm definitely a subscriber to the latter, because uh, uh, I've tried different things, and I've tested different things. Uh, and so... Uh, I'll just give you an example. I'm a big believer in uh, uh, taking notes. Uh, not just you take notes, but not necessarily just take notes, but have action items. Uh, and, and I do believe that when you remember things that you have to do, because your mind is always moving, you're always thinking about things, you're, you could be even at a recreational dinner with friends and you just realize something or you forgot something, uh, you got to write it down. Uh, so I heavily use Siri or, or uh, 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 my phone to voice record uh, things that I remember uh, when I'm driving or when I'm out and about and I don't have time to type it in and I'll just say it and I'll recite it and I'll go through these in the morning and then translate them back down into my to-do list uh, and that's been very useful for me to be able to capture those to-dos that I might remember in a shower uh, or in the car uh, because if you don't write them down you're ultimately going to forget them or it's going to cause you stress because you're going to try to remember them the whole drive <laughs> and then you're going to get back and then write it down and so that just that's just like one little trick in my list of things that I do that work for me. Totally, <clears throat> that, that's I totally agree with writing things down. And it, so the the Siri command. I mean, what command do you use? Do you tell them to add a note, an appointment? What What are you telling her to do? Or add, him? A, add a reminder. Add a yeah. reminder. Got it. Okay, so add a reminder, guys. Um, and final question. You know, what's one must read book for the audience? Jeez, <coughs> um, you know, uh, I've read a lot of books. I am really enjoying right now uh, the hard things about hard things. You're the fourth guy to say that on this show. Um, <laughs> but, you know, I will tell you uh, that's mostly because I'm reading it right now. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, uh, um, there's another great book called Lean Analytics, an Eric Reese book that I think is fantastic. Um, uh, I, I could probably it's, – it's, it's more because it's just front of mind. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think the hard thing about hard things, one of the tricky things in reading that book – is some of those experiences you only feel at certain levels of scale. Mm-hmm. Uh, so if you're an entrepreneur of two or three people, you can't identify with all of these sort of different examples. Mm-hmm. Uh, but if you're an entrepreneur with, uh, and you're at 20, 30 people, or then at 50, 60 people, or 200 people, you can start identifying with different sorts of experiences. You can almost use it like a reference book. Uh, but uh, 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 funny that I'm the fourth person, so it must be a good book. No, it's, it's <laughs> fantastic. I've, I've read it too. and. You know, I'm, I'm actually considering sending it to all my employees, too. I don't know. You know, an, another one that was very moving for me personally um, was uh, Steve Jobs' biography. Mm-hmm. Um, and the reason why I think that's a great business book is it after you read that book and you start looking at user experiences in apps, you become attuned to a whole other level of detail that you never noticed before because you never really thought about the design of things to that sort of level of granularity, and that was very that was an eye opener for me because when I would look at things, I'd look at things and say, "Yeah, this feels good," uh, and then after reading that book, I'm like, "Wow, no, this feel doesn't feel right, and this doesn't feel right." Not in a sort of egotistical way or an arrogant way, just more like I just never noticed. Uh, and my analog there is uh, uh, for those people who are watching this, if they've ever been, if they're married, you have to plan a wedding. And when you plan a wedding, you start going into all these little details. And all of a sudden, every wedding you attend after that wedding, you notice everything. You're like, wow, what, what you know, color napkin that was and why they put little sprinkles there. And all the weddings that you attended before that, you never noticed. 
but you only you become attuned uh, to these things when you uh, go through the process of that planning. And so I think that book is very good at sort of getting your mind uh, more design centric. Yeah, no, it's a fantastic book. And you actually read through the whole thing, or did you listen to the thing? Oh, I read the whole thing. Yeah. yeah. Cool, great. You know, I, I think it's it's actually been tough for me to get through the book, so I actually just audio booked it through. But um, yeah, Raj, you know, thanks so much for joining us. I think a lot of lot of good insight here, and definitely hope to have you on the show again sometime soon. All right, thank you so much. Thank you. Bye.